am the one who knocks. Pop, pop. Oh, no. <laughs> Why don't you do something with your life? You contribute nothing to society. Good morning, Vietnam! Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? You know my code. Hose before bros. You can't handle the truth. Buzz your girlfriend. Woof. Nobody calls me mad dog. Especially not some dooted up egg sucking gutter trash. Hello and welcome to my first time where we debate, dispute and discuss a much loved classic of film or TV that one of us has never seen before. Will we see what the fuss is or just be left wondering, what the hell was that? My name is Dan and I'm joined each and every week by Eden. Yo! And Aiden. Catchphrase. And this week, we're being held hostage to the charms, or perhaps not, of the Bruce Willis Christmas classic, Die Hard. Aiden, you are this week's first timer. Correct, yes. I'd never seen it up until five days ago. Why not, as we always like to do, if one of us has uh, not seen something? A little bit of an explanation. Have you had opportunities to? Have you actively avoided it? Give us the deets. Well, it originally came out in 1988. So at the time, I was two years old. Not appropriate for a two-year-old. And I guess by the time I, it was appropriate for me, there's already been like number two released. Maybe even number three had been released. And by that point, I felt like it was too late. Like I was like, oh, I can't jump on this train. It's already well and truly left the station. I too, I, I get that feeling of overwhelmed by something when there's too many of them. I'm like, oh no, I just can't do it. Like it's too late. Just forget it. Ignore it. Move on. Just pretend you've seen it when you enter into Christmas conversations around best film and things. Uh, so that is one angle. The other angle is I don't really like action films very much. What? The combination too, of too scary yeah. with all the pew pew and the you know no, bang bang. It's not the scariness. It's just that I like um I like dialogue. I like um plot and twists and I like jokes and <laughs> hold, on, it, hold on a second. You're a really bad boys fan. <laughs> you like yes, bad boys? It's hilarious. <laughs> it's got no dialogue or plot. <laughs> Are you a Bruce Willis man? I don't mind Bruce. I, I I feel indifferent. Like I really liked him. Um, this is a not what everyone would turn to in the Wikipedia. Um, but um, his character on that '70s show was really good. Uh. <laughs> it's a very strange touchstone for Bruce Willis. Yeah. I well. The, I didn't even know he was in that '70s show. Yeah, he just he played a very minor character. Um, and I liked him in Friends as well. Like these sort of. <laughs> these roles that he gets to play where he plays like a serious but everyone else is funny around him and yeah your cultural touchstones are terrible for bruce i can't Sorry, believe this excuse me friends is only the biggest you need a bruce occasion all time like i think there's a lot of listeners going right now oh yeah that's right he was on friends he did play one of ross's girlfriend's fathers or something no, nah, not to this podcast mate the people that would say that are listening to like the gilmore girls podcast or something like that <laughs> Uh, all right well (laughs) you avoided it let's have a little bit of a rundown for any listeners at home like aiden that maybe were daunted by the too many diehards to uh, enter the series so uh here's a little bit of a down low on the original diehard 
1988's Die Hard features a hirsute Bruce Willis playing regular New York City cop John McClane, who by sheer fluke becomes the only man possible of stopping a gang of German terrorists pulling off an audacious heist. McLean, at the start of the film, flies to LA to be reunited with his estranged wife and children for Christmas. From the airport, he is escorted by Argyle, a young African-American chauffeur to the Nakatomi Plaza, a 35-story skyscraper, where his wife and her colleagues are enjoying themselves at the Nakatomi Corporation Christmas party. As McLean is getting changed for the party in his wife's private office bathroom, Hans Gruber, played by Alan Rickman in his film debut, and his gang of mostly German thugs arrive with heavy arsenal to lock down the Nakatomi Plaza and take the entire party of Christmas revelers hostage. McLean manages to escape to the roof unseen, and armed with nothing more than a standard issue sidearm, he must somehow prevent the big blonde German bad guys from running off with more than $640 million worth of untraceable bearer bonds. As McLean starts picking off the Germans one by one, he puts out a distress call that is received by Sergeant Al Powell, who might be best known to some viewers as the dad from 90s sitcom Family Matters. As the situation escalates, on the inside of the building, McLean becomes increasingly battered and bruised while outside, the FBI make a complete hash of everything. Things come to a head when, thanks to an overzealous news reporter, Hans Gruber becomes aware of McLean's wife in the hostage group and a final confrontation with Officer McLean, his wife, and Gruber follows. Now, obviously. Bruce Willis is not about to lose to a bunch of German psychopaths and one of the sweetest frames of the movie is Hans Gruber dropping in slow motion from the top of the Nakatomi Plaza to the stone cold street below. Commercially, Die Hard was a solid success without being a runaway smash and it finished as the seventh highest grossing film of the year behind comedies such as Twins, Big, Coming to America and Crocodile Dundee 2. The critics gave the film a mixed bag of reviews as well, some praising Willis's everyman charm and others ripping the film for its plot holes and numbing violence. It was one of several films named as morally objectionable by the Catholic Church in 1988. <laughs> Since then, the film has developed a huge following and is seen by many uh, as the film that heralded the change of action star from muscle freaks like Stallone and Arnie to actors with a little bit more of the everyman about them. Many consider it to be one of the greatest action films of all time, and in 2017, the film was selected by the United States Library of Congress to be preserved in the National Film Registry for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. But of course, none of that matters as much as our opinions and that of today's first-timer. So what say you, Aiden? Is Die Hard a glorious slice of Yuletide cheer or a blood-stained failure? best consigned to Santa's naughty list. In that intro or, or summary that you mentioned that I want to touch on though, Dan, um, mm -hmm. the first being that we're pitching Bruce Willis as an everyday man. Like I was sitting there watching him yes. looking at those muscles and I'm like, I can't relate to this. You're definitely not an everyday man. Oh, well, he's definitely muscly, but he is a working police officer. But I think, uh, maybe Eden, you jump in here with your opinion. I think yeah. that the film captures him as as really being the underdog quite well. This is not the Bruce Willis of the mid-90s, you know, early 2000s, where he is become an Arnie-type character, where he plays, you know, men of incredible strength. You always know he's uh, a powerful figure. This was Bruce Willis before he really made any other films, and he was like a TV comedy person. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think that he does have an everyman quality. But I was interested about in like in the intro, uh, the Stallone Schwarzenegger as like the kind of archetype maybe of action heroes. Whereas I didn't think that was the case. I thought that like. 70s 60s action heroes were like your clint eastwoods yeah kind of kind of you know not not muscly necessarily Even but just bond bond yeah. was never like ripped up until daniel craig most of them were yeah, just sort of that's... like a dad bod sort of that's English. The English don't have muscles. <laughs> Do you know what? But no, I, I think in the 80s, I think what we're talking about is like the decade before yeah. Die Hard, action films were like, this is like the, uh, and this is like the peak of Hulkamania. This is America yeah. with Hulk Hogan. Everyone's big muscles, steroids, they're jacked up. It's the decade of the big beef men. Yeah. Do you know what surprised me though? Like I'm watching the film and I'm going, how old are you in this film? You, you, you still look old. How is it? Like, he's not bald yet, but he still looks old. He's got that sort of look to him. Did you research it? Yeah, 33 years old. I'm older than him yeah. in the film. I was looking at it going, I, I I, couldn't do what he's doing, obviously. But but you know what I mean? Like, I was like, you still, it's just something about it. It's out of reach, you know? Is, does it, is it that thing of like, people in old movies and people in old photos just look older than us for some reason is that that like weird kind of yeah i think that's a thing where you you judge people by the the sort of amalgamation of images of them in your mind often Mm. when they're a bit older and they've been famous for longer yeah so shit he was 33 uh yeah uh, look it might have been 32 or 34 depending on when bruce willis's birthday was but i just literally looked up that he's 66 currently which makes him roughly 33 at the time of the film um, that is nuts. <laughs> yeah, he's he's younger than all of us. Yeah. That is alarming. My first note is just from when he was on the plane having a discussion with the person next to him. And I just wrote that Bruce is oozing charisma and machismo. <laughs> and I don't think that many actors today have as much of either as him. Like, you know, or have that combination of both that he has. It's a very rare quality. And I guess it's why he became a superstar. I think that's his, like, his sitcom kind of style, isn't it? That kind of just like, I'm, I'm the leading sitcom man. Got hmm. a bit of, like, enjoyability to watch. <laughs> Who would be the closest to this sort of era, Bruce Willis, in that. today's set of leading actors maybe like a like a Channing Tatum yeah but he seems close. too like he seems too kind of he's too beefcake yeah. yeah I was yeah. gonna go Joel McHale oh yeah he's got that sort of like dry sort of like you know he's thinking something funny but he might not say it out loud sort of look to him <laughs> I don't think he has the macho arrogance though. He doesn't yeah. have the man's manliness that Bruce has. He can be a bit Bruce too has. cocky. Like, Bruce Willis had a cocky angle, but he wasn't sort of, like, unlikable, okay. whereas I think Joel McHale can verge into unlikable. Maybe this is why he stands alone. I, that no one really comes to mind for me. And I think, you know, I think Bruce's performance is what sets this movie apart. It could be a, probably a very forgettable movie if not for the two great leading performances. Oh. Eden, are you surprised to hear that Rickman, this is his first film? I am not, but I am so impressed. One of my early notes is Rickman is just carrying this film. Like, I know that Bruce Willis is great in it, 
but holy shit, Alan Rickman is just so damn good. Like, oh my, I, I can't take my eyes off him. I feel like every scene he's in, he's just so enjoyable to watch. I feel like he's having the time of his life. Obviously, it's my first time, and I haven't seen any of the sequels either, so uh, Alan Rickman presumably doesn't come back for two, three, four, five at all. Not until six when they clone him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, they, they clearly so, don't, obviously. So, obviously, they have to bring in new bad guys, and do they have the same uh-huh. charisma, the same um, mm. likability or hateability, depending on which way you look at it? I can't even remember who the bad guy in number two is. Number two is the is played by William Sadler, I think his name is, but he's not a... William yeah, Sadler, like, yeah. a.k.a. Death from A Bill and Ted's oh. Bogus Journey. Shit, yes. No, that is exactly him, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's a great leap. Well done, well done. <laughs> I'm familiar. Um, I don't remember two at all. I, I have seen it. I don't remember it. It's I remember three with Samuel yeah. L. Jackson and Jeremy Irons, who is a pretty good bad guy. And doesn't he play Hans Gruber's brother or something? Isn't yeah, he out for there, revenge? There is like, yeah, there's a definitely a family connection between Jeremy Irons and Alan Rickman. And there's one where they try and bring in Justin Long to replace him and it doesn't quite work. Uh, was that four? That one was yeah. a turd. That was so bad. Yeah. And there Terrible. was one after that as well that I'd never even yeah. bothered to go see. Was that Did all it like... have Sam Worthington or someone? Uh, I don't know. Was it all digital or something? It was lots so, of like tech stuff. I've listened Ugh. to interviews uh, with Justin Long talking about his experience in that. And before he'd read the plot of the film, like it was written into the contract that Bruce Willis wanted to do a scene with a helicopter, a scene with a motorbike. Like there was, it was contracted the stunts before the plot was even written. And Justin Long was like, so you want me to sign on for this film that guaranteed to have three, these three scenes, but what links them? What's going on here? <laughs> and that was more important than the actual storyline. What do we think uh, of the Christmassy setting? It's quite Christmassy when you watch it back, uh, paying attention. Yeah, I did yeah. think it was very Christmassy, but I did take issue with that they all seem to be very hot. Like, they, it was like the afternoon sun glow. Like, most of the film has a sort of yellow sort of tone to it. And I was like, is it Christmas time or is it... Christmas in the Bahamas. Like, what's what is going on here? I, I it did throw me a little bit. It's California's, Los Angeles. Yeah, California is notoriously hot. Yeah, but not like sweating hot. I think it's like, I don't know. Let's look it up. <laughs> well, I can say that the average high in December in California is twenty degrees. That's a pretty that's a pretty high average for your winter high. And you think you're in a, in a in a building where you can't open any windows or anything? And the heater—they've got the heater on. It's a party. Yeah. You're drinking alcohol. Yeah, 19 to 24 degrees, according to Google. 19 to 24 degrees Celsius is your average Christmas day in Los Angeles. I just felt like it was a little bit too warm. Pushing down the like LA sunsets kind of yeah. heat vibe. <laughs> I would have liked a little bit more Christmas. <laughs> I was amazed actually at how Christmassy it seemed because I don't think I've, I've I would have seen this movie two times beforehand, and I I know that it's set at Christmas time. I know that there's all of the like Christmas tree stuff in the building, but like just at like the end of the movie with like Let It Snow playing and a few of yeah. the other little bits, 
It felt very Christmassy. <laughs> well, there's a bit early where Rickman is humming a Christmas carol in the most villainous way possible. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> He'd no, a... I, I thought that was good. Nice, subtle bit of Christmas. Yeah. More films should do that. It's the perfect time of year to release a film with only tenuous links to Christmas. Well, like, why aren't there more films set at like, different times throughout the year, like sort of holidays in the year? But, but without being overtly a Christmas or a Halloween or an Easter or a, you know, whatever film, Thanksgiving film. I guess they no, needed an excuse for a, a work get together, like end of year mm. celebration sort of thing. Like that's, that's the setting of it. And then they tie in Christmas. You don't have too many others throughout the year where it's like everyone's getting together. We're celebrating the end of year, uh, all your hard work you've done, party sort of thing. Yeah, and financial year party. <laughs> like, it just doesn't quite work. <laughs> Does anyone know if the book that the movie was based on uh, was a Christmas... Like, it was set at Christmas time? I don't know. I only knew it was based on a book when I read the Wikipedia after watching it. <laughs> Nothing lasts forever is what I wrote down when I found that out. Wow. That's a very... Well, speaking of James Bond, doesn't that sound like a James Bond movie? Yes, Nothing definitely. lasts forever. Yeah. But, but so does Die Hard, really, because half the Bond films are like another day to die or never yeah. going to die or stop dying, please. Like they're, they've all got to die in the title. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it was Christmassy. I, I've just looked up the plot while we're talking, Eden, and it's, it's quite different. Retired NYPD detective... So-and-so is visiting the 40-story office headquarters of Claxon Oil oh no, in Los Angeles on Christmas Eve. So the Christmas oh. Eve theme comes from the book. But he's visiting his daughter, oh. Stephanie Gennaro. I think I would have nice. liked that more. As opposed to like want the, the whole marriage one. angle? Yeah, I don't know. Like it sort of made me go, well, do you love her? Do you not? Like what are you trying to prove here? Are you trying to win her back? Are you actually wanting to be together like what's it, it i think it would have been better if it was just like no one questions a father-daughter relationship like that's that's oh yeah you love your daughter you want to um protect her look after her what do you think eden what would you prefer uh, 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 a husband and wife in need of uh, reuniting or a father-daughter yeah that's tricky i don't know like both are very tropey yeah, and I think both would work fine. Like, I, I don't think if you got rid of the... Like, I don't think if you replaced the wife with the daughter, it would be a hugely different film. Other than the fact John McClane would have to be a lot older. Yeah. And you, I don't know yes, if it yeah. would have been as commercially successful. Yeah, because... and you said, like, retired New York cop. Yeah, yeah. So now I we're really... talking about someone who's, like, 60. Yeah, which, well, which could be really the... cool. This is the plot line, surely, for number five or six. Like, he's probably got yeah. grandchildren right now. You know, he goes back to Nakatomi Plaza, where his now daughter is working. <laughs> That'd be great. That'd be the perfect end to this entire series of films. <laughs> and Hans Gruber's kid ah. <laughs> comes back for the perfect revenge. Yes. Chuck Gruber. <laughs> So having never seen this film, obviously I've been in multiple conversations with people about like first Christmas film or Bruce Willis or any of those sort of things where you have to fake your way through. And particularly, um, I don't know if you guys have watched uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It doesn't yes. start off as a theme at the beginning, but by the end of 
Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I reckon there's a reference to Die Hard almost every episode. Um, The main character names his son after it. And there was so many things in the film. I'm like, oh, now that joke from Brooklyn Nine-Nine makes sense. (laughs) Oh, now I get it. Like there was so many things. Um, it's, It's hard to have not, like to not link the two. So in, in my mind, I was watching a spin-off from Brooklyn Nine-Nine almost. <laughs> Sounds like you're talking about a very culturally important film now, Aiden. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right. We'll yeah. save that for the scoring round. One of the things I, I think sets the film apart is the richness of the little worlds it creates. Like I think the police is a great little world and you get a good little backstory for... um. Our old pal, um, the um, yes. you know, the family matters dad. You get a great little backstory <laughs> for him, and when it cuts to the news reporters who go on to sort of stuff it up for John McClane, like that scene is great. Like the news people are all like barbing each other, I and love you know the news they're shouting and yelling God. at each other, and it's so quick and it's so believable. And then the FBI guys turn up, and even though that's pretty hokey, because this is the trope that I love in any action film involving police and FBI, you are either watching it going, oh, the FBI, what a bunch of jerks, they're so incompetent, or you're doing the complete opposite, where you're like, oh, the local police are such rubes, get out of the way and let the FBI do their job. Uh, There's no middle ground. There's no film where local police and FBI coexist peacefully. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. I had uh, I had slight issue though that um the head police officer and the news anchor looked very similar. They both had 1980s haircuts and roughly the same age and I was like I kept getting the two confused. I'm like are you which which one are you? I'm so confused. Look not, different now, please. Not only that, but they've both played villains in other 80s movies. <laughs> so oh, yeah. the FBI guy is a like I've never seen him play a good guy. He's the guy. I don't know if anyone. This this might be one that you know, Aiden. He plays uh, one of the bad guys in the Goonies. He's the yeah. guy with like the real yeah. pockmarked oh, yeah. face. He's like always a villain. And yeah. So I guess it makes sense that he plays the FBI, who are in this movie are uh, the jerks. But like even the main journalist guy is like the sort of main bad guy in Ghostbusters. You know the you know yes oh, yeah. this man has no dick guy. <laughs> yep. Um, and and the uh, the bad cop guy is the principal villain in uh, the Breakfast, Breakfast Club. Club. Yeah, <laughs> so good. Ah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's got it's got a great cast. The minor oh. roles in this are brilliantly cast. So good, so damn good. So for me, what sets it apart is that you've got two amazing lead performances, particularly the villain. And I read in on Wikipedia, you might have read this too, Eden, that. They brought someone in to do a rewrite of the script. And he said, no, we have to rewrite the script to think of Hans Gruber as the protagonist. We have to think of him as the main character. And that's how they rewrote the script. And the film's so much better for it. Absolutely. Do you know what character... No, you go, Eden. I was going to say, like, uh, Alan Rickman's performance is just so damn good. Um, Because obviously, yeah, he's coming at it from the perspective of this is not the villain. Like, he's, he's just... Very clever, very an, an, an approachable villain. <laughs> so good. The character that I thought was unnecessarily, though, um, Dan, you mentioned all these little worlds and little um, sort of backstories and little things they set up. What mm-hmm. was the point of the uh, limo driver being there the whole film? Like, it had no no point whatsoever, other than the fact that he cuts them off right at the very end. Like, that's it. And that could have been done by any number of... I was like... Why, why am I still invested in you? 
why do I care about you that you're listening to your music too loud in the car? Isn't just the <laughs> comedy of it? Like he's just this like little he's this yeah. young guy listening to hip hop. Pointless. I was hoping for more payoff, I guess. Hmm. I, I can see that. I can understand. Um, I, I like that bit myself. I think Argyle's a fun character. Yeah, I um, guess I wanted Argyle to catch him when he jumped out of the plane or some, or jumped out of the building, sorry, or, or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, oh, he's here to pick me up. Yep, jump in. We're not going to the hospital. Don't worry. We're going home. I'm going to take you home. Don't worry about the ambulance. Yeah, that is a bit strange. The bit that I thought was unnecessary was when, I think his name is Carl. He's the long, blonde-haired, yep. sort of second-in-charge guy where he's clearly been hung by a chain to die and then suddenly right at the end of the film he just like reappears yeah zombie like and he's about like a zombie almost yeah yeah, and he's about to shoot them and then you know family matters dad you know gets over his fear of guns or whatever but that was a good shoots him that was a good closure moment i really liked that you know not the zombie moment but but like yeah the the return of that character got his confidence back and you know yeah, no, that's a nice moment. But just the fact that they bring him back from the dead miraculously yeah. with no explanation, I thought it was a bit dumb. What about the, like, creepy, flirty guy who ends up trying to, like, <laughs> you know, negotiate with Hans Gruber? <laughs> yeah, that guy's what? great. Yes. He's so good. <laughs> what? But, like, what a weird kind of extra little plot line to push in there. I thought, I don't know, I, I was weirded out by this guy. <laughs> If you haven't seen the film, this guy is basically trying to get into the pants of uh, Mrs. McLean. But, but then he's like a real weasel. He, he like tries to like bargain with the Germans and yeah. tries to get John to give himself up. And he's got a real like sleazy coke sniffing but 1980s that's another, Wall another Street another trope vibe. in itself. Like the, the guy at your wife's work that's always hitting on your wife while you're <laughs> off working at a different workplace. You know, that's a trope in itself of, of these 80s and 90s films. That's Definitely. true. I'm all right with that trope, though. When it's pulled off well and the acting is that good, I think the trope yeah. works for me. But yeah. this film kind of invented a lot of these tropes. You know what I mean? Like, after this film, you had so many other um, Swedish or Norwegian, like, um, <laughs> blonde bad guys. And you know what I mean? Like, this this sort of put in place a lot of these things for the 90s era of action films. Eden, answer me this question. What makes Hans's death at the end so good? <laughs> oh. It it's so good because throughout the whole film you've enjoyed following this guy around. Like he's even though he's the villain, he's someone that you're like, man, this is this is an entertaining character to watch. This is someone that I enjoy watching. And then at the end, it just seems like such a, almost like a hollow victory maybe, because he just sort of falls and he he just seems so human, so nothing. Like it sort of robs him of everything. At that moment Mm. where he falls, I was expecting him to pull out a broomstick and then fly back (laughs) up there. I was a bit confused. I'm like, just pull it out. What are you doing, Snape? Pull out your broomstick. (laughs) Yeah, it has it has a this is it kind of moment. It's like no, and I think that yeah, there's just like this express that expression on his face of just like huh, shit. 
Yeah, and I, there's something about the the fact that he's like sort of clutching on to Bruce Willis's wife's hand, and he's he's sort of almost feels like he's not actually trying to be saved, almost like he's trying to pull them with him. Yeah, yeah, and oh, the he fact wants that, to, yeah. Yeah, the fact that what ultimately leads to his demise is that they just, Bruce manages to just unclasp her bracelet. The, oh, isn't it the watch? The Rolex watch from the oh, beginning? Oh, the Rolex yeah. watch. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it is like a real humbling for such a proud and... Yeah. Uh, well, to draw a comparison to another um, kids film, I brought it, I had real um, Scar vibes from The Lion King. Like... The similar sort of the way he acted, like there's a bit of arrogance, there's a bit of obviously bad guyness to it, but like he's, he's sort of like this charismatic bad guy, and then you know he falls off the edge of a cliff, like there were, and he falls off the side of a building. There was a lot of I just saw scar in him. I saw a lot of scar. Obviously, it came out a, a few years later, but I I wonder if there was any like oh let's make him similar to that. I think that's a great get. I think that is so, that is absolutely so much a possibility that they based, uh, they based Scar on, on this sort of Alan Rickman performance. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, final words, Eden, before scoring, anything you wanted to bring to our attention? I thought it was a great movie. And I love any movie, especially in the 80s, where they do the New York versus California shit. Like, every <laughs> single person in the movie who encounters McLean and then he's like, oh, yeah, I'm from New York. He's like, oh, New York, eh? Oh, what you come out here to California for? You're like, you know, why are you here? You don't belong here. I love that animosity between the East and West Coast. <laughs> For yeah, an, me too. For you as an Adelaide resident, where do you think it is? Is it Melbourne? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I feel like it's got to be a Sydney Melbourne conflict, right? Like Sydney or is, is the California, Perth? or it could be Adelaide Perth. Mm. I think I think it's like a Sydney Melbourne thing. I think that Melbourne has a New York vibe and Sydney has a California vibe. Sydney's trying to be showy and like this is what it's all about, whereas Melbourne is warmer. the like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Melbourne is the grungy piece of shit where they're like, I don't care about anything. I'm just trying to get by. High on yeah, culture. both of them see Adelaide as like some like, backwater. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Massachusetts town. <laughs> um, final thoughts, Aiden? Any? Um, yeah, I had. I I just kept on thinking the whole way through the film. Like, if anyone had a mobile phone, this film would be over in five minutes. Like, it's yeah. just, if he had a mobile phone, as he's trapped up in the ventilator, if she had a mobile phone, <laughs> she could be texting him. Like, if anyone had mobile phones, the film would be done. And and I guess that's. You know, it's it's made in the eighties. They weren't thinking, oh, in ten years' time, this is probably going to feel very out of date. Um, <laughs> but you know, you can't help but watch it in twenty twenty one or whatever year you're watching it. When the technology around you is like, just just send through an emoji, like you know, a, something that's going to tell everyone that what's going on. I had a similar thought. I think it must make films harder to make these days of that sort of yeah. type, the action film where you know, someone's stranded on their own. I love movies where people are stranded. And I, I, I completely agree that, like, as soon as phones became such a sort of 
mobile thing as on every single person, yeah, location-based action movies kind of don't have the same impact. Yeah. That um, took a hit. The other question I had uh, was, why did they feel the need to have him barefoot? Like, I get the singlet thing because they wanted to show off muscles, um, but why barefoot? I just couldn't... For, I was for like, the glass scene. Yeah, but I was just like, I don't get Shoot it. the glass out and his feet are bleeding everywhere. I know, but it seems like such a stupid... For, for that just one little bit, like, couldn't they come up with another way? The whole film, he's walking around with in his barefoot, and I was like... Just find some shoes. Like he they, tried. They, he tried. <laughs> oh no, he's not the right size shoe. It was like so obvious that they wanted him in barefoot. But I was like, but why? I'm like, I get it. You want him in barefoot. You've set it up three or four times throughout the film. Why? Is, is there going to be a massive payoff? Wasn't enough for me. Ouch. I'll tell you where there was no payoff. Where obviously I've seen it before. But what you expect in this movie? There's one terrorist who is Asian, and he's got the big Fu Manchu-style moustache. Right. <laughs> and in most other films, at some point, Bruce Willis is going to have to have a karate fight with this guy. <laughs> sure. So you, did you think this, Aiden? You're watching it for the first time. I think it's like, you think, oh, I can't wait for this guy to do something. He's going to do some, like, Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan stuff. And he does nothing. He just dies a useless death at the end without even doing anything for the whole film it's so bizarre to cast someone who's so uh, you know strikingly different to the rest of the terrorist crew and then he does nothing he just especially dies. in the 80s especially in the True. 80s yeah yes. yeah it was definitely a, a discussion amongst like producers going um do we do we need a i don't know what, what what's the ethnicity of all the bad guys you know <laughs> no we'll just throw this one guy in all right let's get to the scores after this short break. After these messages, we'll be right back. The most explosive game of the year, Die Hard Trilogy. Run, shoot, and drive your way through three Die Hard movies in one explosive arcade epic. Games Master says if you only buy one game this year, make it Die Hard Trilogy. The best action game you can own. The Die Hard Trilogy. Now available on PlayStation from Fox Interactive and in store at CD Countdown Stockists everywhere. Alright, it's time to unleash our scores and to see where Die Hard sits in the MFT Pantheon. Uh, Eden, iPhone test. 2.5. Squarely in the middle. Yeah. Seems low, but I think that um, this movie probably is a 2.5. Yeah, I'd hit it with a 3, um, but I would agree with Eden. Like, there was a lot of the film where I was, like, looking through, like, oh, what what's he done? What they done? How old is Bruce Willis? There was lots of those sort of questions, and I think that comes with time, obviously. Um, but, yeah, 3. Yeah, and I think twenty pacing of films has improved yeah. over the years. So I'm going to give it a slightly higher one. I'm going to give it a 3.5, but I agree. It has some down moments. Cultural significance, Eden. Four for me. Yeah, I'm going a four as well. There's, there's a lot in this that has become standard in other films, particularly in the 90s. We've sort of moved away from that now, but I knew them as tropes because this film started them, obviously. 
Yeah, I think I agree. I'm going to go a bit higher. I think the number of sequels it spawned. I think that in its genre, it stands alone as one of the greatest examples of an action film. I'm going to go 4.5. Returnability, Eden, would you watch this again? Yeah, I've seen it a bunch of times already. I'm going to give it a 4. Have you seen all the sequels? I have, but yeah. the first one is just so damn good. <laughs> okay, It's so much better than any of the others. Yeah. Yeah, see, I don't think I'm going back. Like, I didn't hate it, but these I know already that these films are not for me. I'm not an action hero type of guy. That's just not what I sit down to enjoy with popcorn or chock top. Um, unless there's some kind of comic book element to it, obviously. Um, so I'd, I'd probably go one and a half. I'm going to give it a four as well. Uh, I, I'd go five here if any of the sequels stood up. Uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe three is the only one that is is comes close for mine. Partner friendliness, Eden. I'm gonna go three. I think it really it depends. Mm. I watched it with my wife. Uh, she was keen because I mentioned that it was a Christmas film. <laughs> Excellent. Slightly That's how you have to sell it. <laughs> uh, but she sat through the whole thing. We we you know made fun of it together. Um, so I reckon probably. Two. I think there's enough in it to the, to last yeah. the time of the film. Obviously, there's enough good lines. Yeah. Um, oh, wait, wait. Speaking of lines, we haven't discussed the iconic line from the film, like the one that everyone quotes. He now even... I know what a TV dinner feels like. Yeah, that's exactly the line I'm talking about. Um, does he say his catchphrase in other films, or is it just from this one? Oh. What I noticed watching this one was how he almost just tosses it out there, yeah. almost yeah. gently in this film. So good. Well, it's and it's not repeated. It, yeah, no, but it is towards the end. Like that's why it becomes the iconic line. Is it? Does he say it twice? Yeah, no, he doesn't. What the bad guy does? Uh, okay. He goes, "What was the? What was it that you said to me on the on the intercom or or, or phone or whatever it was? You know how the uh, he's chatting to him on the walkie-talkie and he goes, oh, what was it that you said to me? Like, he brings it up. And I think that's why it became a catchphrase because the only part of the film that's repeated, obviously we're talking about the Yippee-Ki-Yay line. um, And that's like, I I, I wonder, yeah, has it been used in other films? Yeah, my recollection is that in other films, it's it's made into like a big lie. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and it's a moment where he says the line. Yeah, it's forced in. And I, again, my recollection is that it happens usually right before he kills the guy or like, you know, does the big thing that needs to be done. Whereas in this one, it was so damn good because it came across as just like a dickish kind of casual thing that he's saying. (laughs) Yeah. No, I agree. It's a, it's a good line, but you it's been blown up a lot in the films that followed and in pop culture. Um, partner friendliness for me, I didn't watch it with Ash this time around, but I have made her watch it before in the Christmas season made her. as a Christmas film. And this is not her genre at all, but she told me when I sat down to watch it, she said, oh, I quite like that one. Um, so, you know, I'm going to give it a three. It's, it's not the perfect date night film, but for an action film would be up there. Yeah. Well, let's tally the scores. We'll be back after these messages. (laughs) 
last time, it blew you through the back wall of the theater. This time, it'll blow you right out of your seat. Die Harder. Bruce Willis, Die Hard 2. Now showing at Hoyt's and Selected Cinemas. We are back, and the score is in for Die Hard. A very respectable 39 for Die Hard. Uh, just to put you in, it's certainly not cracking our top three. You've got to be pushing over 40 to be uh, on the on the dais. But uh, a 39 puts it just below Bill and Ted and puts Good. it higher than films such as Forrest Gump, The Breakfast Club, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and... Twilight. Interesting. Yeah, don't know if I agree I... with all of those, but that's fine. Whatever. Those particular films you mentioned, I agree with. <laughs> what do you want to see higher from those films I mentioned, Aiden? Breakfast Club, for sure. Mm, they had the iconic. principal in it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> more iconic, more enjoyable, um, more culturally significant, more partner-friendly, I would argue. Well, all, all you should start your own solo podcast if... Uh... <laughs> You want everything to fit into your own little worldview there, Look, Aiden? I know it's not a dictatorship, I'm just saying. Well, that's it. Die Hard. Final words? Well, I want to know what we're doing next. Whose turn is it to um, throw it out there and be vulnerable as I was, opening up, pouring my heart out and, and well, you know, just picking the film, really. Um, yeah, we're not judging you based on the choice the of film. <laughs> it's going to be your turn, Eden. What have you chosen for the people to decide? Well, okay, I've got 1995's Heat or 1954's Seven Samurai. <laughs> Oh, 1954, Seven Samurai. That's I can right. tell you right now that Aiden will not enjoy a, <laughs> enjoy that film. Well, I haven't seen either of those as well, so it'll be my first time for each of those. But am I right in saying that's the hoo-ha? That's that's um where heat. Al Pacino's a hoo-ha. No, yeah, that is scent of a from. woman. I'm afraid. Ah, oh, okay. I mean, he uh, maybe he does it in Heat as well. I don't know. I just I know it that it's Incent of a Woman. Incent of the Woman was when it started. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, if you would like to help decide the future of My First Time, jump onto our socials. Keep an eye on our stories. We'll throw that up there in a poll in the coming days. And you can decide, will it be Seven Samurai or Heat? Adios. Really? Adios? You're not going to go with Yippee-ki-yay? I, I feel like that was the... the na- no, okay. Adios. Adios. Yeah, I think unless you're going to say the full thing, which I'm not prepared to do. No, nah, me the, neither. Go I'm keep it squeaky yeah. clean. Pure lips. Keep that, keep that explicit label off our podcast, thanks. Eden, unless you want to jump in there? Now I know what a TV dinner feels like. 